0: Looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 25. Prior to reading these verses, I'd like for us to think about why Christ is worthy of following. If you have a bulletin, you'll see the points of who is a follower, called to follow, and following Christ's lead. Again, prior to reading these verses, I'd like us to pull us into focus of what's going on in our text we're going to reference the other gospel accounts of the circumstances leading to and the event itself according to the gospel of john we are informed that this is not the first time andrew peter john and james are hearing of jesus or interacting or interacting with jesus we're told that two followers of john the baptist andrew and another unnamed disciple who we expect to be John himself. Having heard the announcement of Jesus as Messiah, they both leave John the Baptist to follow Jesus. We also learn that Andrew returns to find his brother, Simon Peter, or Peter as we know him, and tells him that they have found the Messiah. John, being the other unnamed disciple, likely did the same thing, informing his brother that he too has found the Messiah. In Luke 4, we are told that Christ heals Peter's mother-in-law. In Luke 5, we have a parallel account of what is exactly taking place in Matthew 4. We are told Jesus gets into Peter's boat because the crowds are pressing on him, and he, slightly going offshore, is preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Shortly thereafter, Jesus tells Peter to go out and drop his net and performs probably the greatest fishing catch in human history. Peter falls to his knees. Christ then calls him to follow. So while there's a whole backdrop to the text, I think we're at a place where we could dig right into Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, into both with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in verse 25, we're told that throughout Jesus's ministry, a great multitude followed him. But again, as we're reminded um, from Luke's account, the reason Jesus got in the boat is because a great multitude was already following him. I wonder if we were to go back and take a poll of all these peoples and ask them if they were followers of Jesus, what they would say. I ask this question, am I following Jesus? Do we go with the self-identification, the self-declaration method? I know throughout history, there have been nominal Christians, but I think it's safe to say we're probably a bit worse today because Jesus isn't as offensive to the name and only Christian. We see advertisements of he gets us, and sometimes I can't help but want to gag because the message that he gets us is so distorted of who the real Jesus is. We saw weeks ago the temptation of Christ. So from a perspective of Christ being able to understand our weakness, yes, he does get us. But that's not the message that's given. The message that's given is we are to choose Jesus. We have been conditioned as a people that to follow someone, I simply need to click follow and set it on autopilot, and then everything comes to me. There's either no cost of following Jesus, or a lack of understanding who the real Jesus is. The real Jesus that people call to themselves is this Jesus to me, or a buffet-style Jesus I want to pick and choose who the Jesus I want to worship is. The great crowds that were following him, coming to him, maybe went there to hear the authority he spoke with. I think we've all heard about the ability of someone's, someone's ability to command a room, and people are drawn to that. Maybe we're, we're seeing people come to him because of the signs and wonders, and even being a recipient of the healing and blessings. We are told in verse 23, he is healing every disease and every illness. Among the people, and his fame would spread, and more would come to him. When it says every disease or illness, let's take this that there is no disease or illness that presented itself that Jesus did not have the power to heal, as he did heal them all. Following Jesus because he is impressive, or seeking after the benefits of Jesus, does not make one a follower. So, what makes a person a follower? Let's get a little interactive, and I'm being serious here. Everyone who is a Christian, please raise your hand. Really get them up. And I only want you to put them down if you hear me say something that is not true about Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. John, get your hand up. Stop putting that down. (laughs) He is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. He performed miracles and healings as stated in the text. He truly lived 2,000 years ago. His teaching is true and points to a life that is devoted to God. You can put your hands down now. (laughs) These are facts that Peter, John, Andrew, James believed. They were eyewitnesses to these things. And you have Andrew running to tell Peter that they found the Messiah. Does believing these facts make you a follower of Jesus? Well, how about other facts that we know after this event? Jesus lived a perfect life. He is truly God and he is truly man. He died and rose on the third day according to the scriptures and will return to consummate his kingdom on earth and pour out his judgment for all eternity upon the unrepentant. Does believing these facts make you a follower of Jesus? Or said differently, are you a believer in believing facts? Does not Satan himself and his demons also believe the same? Did not the demons tremble if it was the time of their judgment when Christ came? If self-identification does not make you a follower, which by the way, when you all raised your hand, you were guilty of, I'm kidding, I know I set you up. (laughs) Or believing facts does not make you a follower. What does? Our identities as followers of Christ is not by my declaration or my wisdom, but of pure grace from God, who has given me an, an identity of in Christ. It is God's declaration and his wisdom that makes one a follower or believer. Followers of Christ have been called to follow. Verse 19 says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We can read follow me and erroneously think that this is an ask of Jesus, but be mistaken because we forget who Jesus really is. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you received a notice to show up before a judge or for jury duty, or an invitation even from your boss to have a meeting? Would you say no? Technically, you do have the option to respond yes or no, and there might be different consequences depending on your response. But when Christ calls people to follow him or to repent and believe in him, it is not an invitation It is a command. One commentator likens this as a command from the king. Not just the king of a nation or region, but the king of all creation, of all image bearers. So all must obey him when he calls. When Jesus said, follow me, or contextually translated as, come after me, The reason Peter followed is because Christ was the initiator by changing his heart. So when Christ calls Peter and Andrew to follow, and then later James and John, they are made to follow. See, if we go back to Luke's recording of the event, we see that when Peter realized who was in his boat, when he came to face to the real Jesus, He grabbed his smartphone and hopped on all his social media accounts and clicked follow. Okay, he didn't do that. But he said, Jesus, I must follow you. Let me go where you will go, right? (laughs) No, that's not what happened. Peter fell to his knees saying, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When we are faced with the real Jesus who come to see our sinfulness before a holy God, And every other time in Scripture we see this, a falling away, a shying away from the holiness of God. Our sinfulness before a holy God does not bring comfort. The presence of God face-to-face does not bring comfort. So choosing Jesus, seeking after God, and meeting him is not a a peaceful, self-affirming thing we can do. The only time this terror and dread is removed is when God administers compassion. Only the believer, by God's grace, can be consoled with the gospel. Charles Spurgeon talks about this aspect as the doctrine of effectual calling. Yes, many may hear the gospel message, but it has no impact on them. But the call that Christ makes to our hearts, or the inward calling we've received by the Holy Spirit, is that we are made eager and willing to come. Ephesians 2 highlights God's mercy to sinners. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were nature of children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is all of Christ's doing, choosing, and causing about in the hearts of men. So what did it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? In one sense, it means student. Jesus, pardon me here, I'm going to struggle with this word, peripatetic, was a peripatetic rabbi, which means he moved around while he taught. His students would literally follow behind him, listening to his t- teachings and committing them to memory. This was a call to a full-time discipleship. We know that not all the disciples that were called had the effectual internal calling, but for, the, for those who were called inwardly, what did it look like following Christ lead. In verse 20, it says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Speaking of Andrew and Peter. And in verses 21 and 22, And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Does Jesus really mean for us to drop everything and leave it and follow him? Surely he would have understood if any one of the four would have said, Hold on, Jesus. Remember that big hall you had us bring in? Let's see about it and we'll catch up. We know where you live. Remember, we came by to see where you were staying. I'll meet you there. Did they have a responsibility to respond to the call? Yes, they did. And they were made able to respond, so they did. In following Christ, immediately, what did they surrender? They gave up their livelihoods for a new vocation. Everything they had known to that point, they just abandoned. These men were fishermen, and it was a pretty lucrative enterprise. How do I know this? Well, Luke's account tells us that Peter has multiple boats. He needed backup to come in for the haul that they brought in as their nets were breaking. The boat would have held roughly 15 people, so we're talking about a 30-employee business that was being abandoned. Peter had a family to support, so it would have been understandable if he got his affairs in order right after they had this big fishing catch? What about all the employees he had and their families? How about John and James? They abandoned their father right there in the boat as they were tending to their nets. They left the family business towards what end? We need to remember that this call for the disciples was to a particular office. So it is not necessary to think that when Christ calls any and all believers, they must leave their current vocation and take up ministry work or pursue towards the office of teacher, elder, pastor. So does Jesus call his people to forsake their jobs, families, desires, and any other enticement of our heart? In a manner of speaking, yes, he does. He tells us plainly to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. We'll get there at some point in Matthew 10 and in verses 37 to 40. Jesus is clear where he must be in one's life. He must be the primacy of one's life. Now where he would like to be or where he should be to follow, we must be willing to sacrifice these relationships for him. We should be willing to sacrifice our very own lives to follow him. True life in Christ is found in surrendering to Christ. It is a silly thing to consider what they had to give up to follow Jesus. Because I imagine if we had the ability to ask anyone who is present with the Lord what it was like to give up fill in the blank. Their response would be how much better it is to gain Christ than to hold on to any other cheap substitute. Frankly, I wonder for those of us if there will be a semblance of, oh man, I missed out on joy having been enticed to something else other than Christ himself for a time. I'm not suggesting that there are going to be mopey people in heaven or there's going to be this, oh shucks, I missed joy so now I can't have joy. But I think there is a sense of of seeing how inclined Christ is to us that we miss to know here. Following Christ means surrendering to Christ's power, wisdom, and authority. All believers who are called to repent and have faith by by the Spirit surrenders themselves to Christ. We were made by God to know him and enjoy him forever. We were then made alive in Christ to bring about the obedience of the faith, to obey the commands of Christ, to walk in every good work that He has prepared beforehand, for we are His workmanship. We have been saved for a purpose. Following Christ means that we remember the greatest catch of these verses were the four souls that were rescued from the sea of sin and death and given life. Further, we have a faith that we verbally express because he called all his disciples to teach the gospel in the normal areas of our lives. If we are not exhorting each other in the gospel, if we are not living out the gospel in front of one another, it is highly unlikely that we are calling those who remain in this sea Of sin, judgment, and wrath, well. So, where do we go from here? We need to remember our propensity to run back and that the sinfulness of our flesh entices us away from following Christ. When you decided to come to church this morning, and I'm talking to the believer here, what was drawing you here? Was it the preaching? But the moment you realized Pastor John was not preaching, you were bummed out. (laughs) Did you come for the music because you love to sing songs of praise to God and you love hearing the voice of God's people lift it in worship? Maybe you came here for community. You came to be poured into or you're savvy enough that you can articulate. I came to serve others. There's nothing bad about these things, and they should be things we enjoy and do look forward to as we gather. But the start and end of our delight and glory is of God, that I have come and have only been made able to do so because of the grace of God. Let me ask you, what entices you away from following Christ? Is it life circumstances, family A job, fame, riches. How about leisure or some other thing? Am I submitting to the authority of Christ and considering whether I am in his will? Am I mindful of my walk being an encouragement or a hindrance to another brother or sister in the body? Philippians 3, verses 8 to 10 Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, records, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Anything else would be a cheap substitute. It is rubbish, according to Paul's words. So how do we pull this off? How do we fight against the enticements to wander? Remember, after this, Peter will go on to deny Christ. After Christ has been crucified and is resurrected, Peter's found back fishing again. In one sense, the way we do this, we remember, bathe, and immerse ourselves in the gospel over and over and over again. Keeping on course is a multifaceted thing. Yes, we should be doing this through prayer, reading, and meditating on scripture. But we cannot do this on our own with our Bibles and only the Holy Spirit. Considering that Christ is most plainly seen within his people... Where do you think God calls us to invest our time, our talents, and our treasure? Doesn't all these things come at a cost to ourselves? I guess it all comes down to the question of, is Christ worthy of following? Yes might be too simple of an answer, but I could tell you why he is. Because the Spirit is the one causing us is the one causing us to come after him. What was once a dreadful experience of being face-to-face in the presence of God is actually the greatest position and joy that we have. Oh, how I long to gaze on Christ's face, knowing that I am called his own, and oh, how it saddens me when I go after something else. Jesus makes promises to us. For those of you that have asked to raise your hands earlier, here are some of the promises, not in a future life, but in this life that we have as believers. We have the promise of justification, the promise of a pardon of sin, promise of forgiveness of forgiveness of all sins through Christ, reconciliation through Christ, adoption, union and communion with the church, grace to preserve I'm sorry, persevere. (laughs) God is our glory. His presence with us. His mercy. His help. His covenant with his people. His intercession. His love. His care of his church. And to seal our redemption. I left many promises that we have in this life out. But wouldn't it be an amazing thing that if we, as God's people... We're reminding ourselves of it. Only if we had the ability to, right? Only if God was saving a people for himself and called them to gather and worship and to show brotherly love and affection to one another. Is Christ worthy to follow? I guess I'd ask you something else. If anything else in your life is able to deliver, on any of those promises that we have in Christ. Jesus is worthy of following because he is the only one worthy of our praise. I was talking to a friend of mine this week and both he and his wife have health issues and I asked him, how do you find joy as it has been given to you in Christ? His response was, there's a lot of trying to mutually encourage each other reading of the word, praying, and being open and truthful about how we both are doing overall. It is tough to have joy, but knowing that God is good is a help and comfort. There is the understanding that they both deserve hell, so anything that is not that, even the hard things in life, are a mercy from God. Trying to preach that to ourselves day to day And being in an encouraging church with a body of believers that loves them is also a great help. Isn't that all of us? All the things we receive in this life, is it not a mercy from God that we are belonging to him? And hasn't he not left us alone by giving us his very own spirit? We have the benefit of the fullness of his word. We have direct access to him in prayer. We have the Spirit alive in us, and we have one another to be an encouragement. This whole time, I've been talking to the believer and reminding you of your position before Christ. But there's someone out here who is not a follower of Christ. You may be one who raises your hand and self identifies as a Christian. You may be one who adamantly hates God and has the who does not want anything to do with him. Yes, Jesus was a good teacher, and he does give some good advice to carry out for life. And maybe even subscribe to what he teaches, but you just don't want Jesus in your life. Sorry to burst your bubble, friend, but Jesus does not need you to authenticate who he is or anything he has said. You know how absurd it is that he calls people to himself? I talked about the external call of the gospel to repent of sins and to believe in the only Savior Jesus. But it is, that, that it is my hope that you cry out to the Spirit who gives the gift of faith. That he may internally convert your heart and cause you to come out of this sea of sin, death, and wrath that you may hear the gospel and turn to Jesus to be saved. Jesus is the only one that has lived a perfect human life and the only one who can pay for sins of the redeemed and warns against that the rejection of this truth that you should not harden your heart, that you should repent and believe in him. There is a day that Christ will return, set up his kingdom, Lift up his people with him to reign and rule. But those who have not trusted and believed will face eternal wrath and judgment. Um, Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word that is a good thing for us to hear. Your word that uh, gives wisdom, knowledge. It reveals who you are and it reveals what you have done. But your word also can be unsettling to us as it causes us to question whether we are following after you or we're following after something else. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in the heart of everyone here. First, the believer, that we would be enticed to follow you well, Lord Jesus. That we would be drawn to you as we see one another living out the gospel Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be the greatest and grandest possession that we hold on to. And being reminded that it is not how strong or well that we hold on, but it is that you have us in your hand. And that none may take you out, may take us out. Holy Spirit, I also pray that the call of the gospel would go out to your people. And I know that this is true that it may go out to those who have not trusted and believed and you would cause those hearts to turn to you. So we pray for those souls that you are saving. And we pray that they would come to you as the only comfort. Lord Jesus, we also look forward to the day of your return and pray that you do come quickly. And it is in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things and we thank you. Amen.